I'm going to pray for John and for us. Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, active, and we pray as we continue this time of worship together as a church that uh, your spirit would make these words come alive. Pray that you use your servant John uh, to proclaim your truth. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks, Shabu. Morning, everybody. And good morning, particularly to those who are not normally with us or here for uh, the first time. Well, uh, happy Mother's Day to those of you who are mothers. In particular, I know there'll be some who are uh, mothers for the first time and they've had their first Mother's Day, so that's very, very exciting uh, for you. Also realise, uh, too, and very aware that for, uh, Mother's Day is very, very difficult for some people. Maybe that during the year you've lost uh, mum or you're still grieving over her loss, or it might be that you have a a strained relationship uh, with mum too and that's very difficult. Uh, we've also got single mums who find it difficult sometimes to bring up kids by themselves too so uh, thinking of you uh, this morning too and maybe even those who would uh, like to be a mother but for one reason or another that's not been possible at this stage of their life so uh, my prayer this morning is that you would be uh, blessed this morning that you would be encouraged by the things uh, that we're going to be talking about. My son Samuel and his wife Liv have recently had a baby, little Holly, which is fantastic. And so Liv is having her first Mother's Day today too. And I think uh, there's a photo that I've even got here too. And Samuel really desired to surprise Liv. Uh, he's got the flowers and you see he's got the croissants there and he's got the cup of tea. And surprise her he did last Sunday. <laughs> No questions asked. <laughs> My own mother died um, a number of years ago, but I had a very good relationship with her. Uh, I was born at a very early age, and I was very close to her at the time as well. Um, my father was very, very sick as uh, I was growing up, and he actually died uh, when I was only 12 years old. So I had a mother who uh, was working six days a week as a district nurse. You might have heard of the Royal District Nursing Service. Well, I remember mum working for them when it was the Melbourne District Nursing Service, and she drove a grey quartoon and had a funny little hat on her head and, and did the whole mountain area too. She was a terrific mum, and to bring up uh, three children uh, by herself uh, was a pretty tough uh, gig in those days, working those uh, six days a week. And I, what I do remember about mum, one thing I remember is my father, before he died, he used to love coming to my sport. He'd go to the baseball, he'd come to the cricket. And I remember vividly that when he died, that my mother, uh, I'd be playing cricket. I think I started uh, at about nine years old, but when I was 12, I'd be playing cricket. And suddenly at the ground, every week, no matter where I was playing, mum's cortina would turn up and she'd flash her lights. And that was, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm actually watching what's going on I'm interested in you and for me it was really encouraging because like yeah mum really loves me she's here and 15 minutes later she'd flash him again and then uh, away she would go and so that was encouraging for that and I was, I was thinking when my kids were small too and I remember particularly when we lived in Croydon uh, there would be something that would happen quite regularly and this is where I'm talking when the kids were very very small indeed we'd have a great time might be on the weekend had a terrific time during the day on Saturday and then it would start to get dark and so we'd go inside and uh, we would have tea together. Uh, tea times were great fun at our place. There used to be lots and lots of talk. I used to record a lot of the conversations that used to go on at tea time. But then what would happen is I'd say to the kids, okay, before, um, before you go and jump in the bath, do your toilet and teeth and, and put your PJs on, you whip outside and grab your toys and your bike. And so they would run and they'd get to the flywire door and they'd stop and they'd look out into the darkness. And suddenly their brain would say to them, 
there's something we haven't talked about for a while monsters and they inevitably it would come daddy yes what is it can you come sure I can and so I would go out with them into the darkness we'd pick up the things and they were happy and singing pick up the toys and then we'd go and, and off we'd go to bed what was the difference the difference was that I was with them they had no fear simply because my presence was with them and if an imperfect and flawed father like me can bring a sense of comfort and security uh, to a child of mine merely by my presence how much more can a perfect sinless loving omniscient omnipresent he's everywhere he knows everything powerful God provide for us when it comes to bringing comfort and security there is no competition between me as a father and God can you get your Bibles ready to uh, read along with me in a moment we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28 uh, and verses 16 to 20 now there'll be people here who don't know the Bible who maybe haven't been to church for a long time uh, who walked in because they thought it was a Lions Club meeting and just found out that it's not and so if you are here and that's you and you're not sure let me just give you a quick little background of what's going on uh, here these are very, very well-known verses, and people looking at them straight away going, yep, I know, I know these verses. Uh, but for those of you who don't know, here's the setting. The setting is that Jesus has just finished his earthly ministry. He's been betrayed by Judas, and although totally innocent, he's been executed on a cross to the delight of the Jewish leaders because they wanted to get rid of him, buried in a tomb. Three days later, he has risen victoriously from the dead, defeating death and the power of sin forever. He's already appeared to his disciples a number of times, and he's appeared to multitudes of people, hundreds of people at the one time. So there are so many eyewitnesses around the place that have seen him. And now he's getting ready to ascend back to his father. And so these are the last instructions that he gives his disciples. And I kind of figure that if this is Jesus who is God, who is going to ascend back to his father. He's about to give his last instructions to his disciples. I sort of figure these are going to be pretty important words. There's a number of commands in this uh, little passage, along with a wonderful and very necessary promise. Why don't we read this together? Then the 11 disciples, only 11 now, Judas has gone. In fact, he's dead. Uh, dramatically then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go when they saw him they worshipped him wouldn't you this is the risen victorious Christ the one that they had been with the whole time and and there he is he comes to them they know that he's risen he's appeared to them in a number of different ways and so they worship him but you know what I hadn't really noticed before or paid much attention to the next three words have you but some doubted. We don't really get a background as to what's going on there. We don't get a backstory for that. And it doesn't say Thomas doubted again. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say a person doubted, a disciple. It says some doubted. Isn't that so typical? Isn't that typical of us too? We see clearly what's going on and yet we still have these doubts. Then Jesus came to them and said, very important words coming up here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Tell me, who gave him that authority, folks? Who gave it to him? Father, that's exactly right. But didn't he have all that authority before anyway? Yeah, he did. He's been elevated even further, hasn't he? As the God-man, 
who has done and obeyed the Father, has gone to death to save the world from its sins and now is ascending back to the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus says, has been given to me. Therefore, because I have that authority, go and make disciples, here's the commands, of all nations. This is God showing his uh, unstoppable mission uh, to gather together his sheep from every corner of the globe, from every nation. Go make disciples of all nations, next command, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's a whole Godhead there, the importance of all three. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what's the passage here? So, okay, so what they're to do is they're to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then what do we do with them after that? What do they do? Well, they go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And when those people have got that, then they, you know what I'm going to say, they go. It's a cycle, isn't it? It's a great cycle that's going on. But look at the amazing uh, promise that comes at the end uh, of this. The most comforting words that can come. And surely I am with you. What's the next word? What is it? Always to the end of the age. Or in the King James, I love it, Lo, I am with you always. There's something about that word low that really gets me. But it's surely I am with you always to the end of the age. This promise is both wonderful and it is necessary. It is wonderful because we have Almighty God saying that he is going to be with us. He's promising that he's always going to be with his disciples. And his track record for keeping his promises, I'm telling you, is absolutely impeccable. It's wonderful that he will be with us always. And it's necessary. Why is it necessary that he'll be with us always? Because the reality is that we cannot possibly do the things that he asks of us in our own strength without his help. We need his help to be able to fulfill the plans that he has that he allows us to be involved in. It doesn't say, I can do all things. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need him. When we look closely at the Bible, there's a very interesting, consistent theme of God not only telling his people that he will be with them, but letting them know that he longs to be with them. There's a difference, isn't there? The fact that he says, I will be with you, but he also lets them know that he longs to be with them. And from cover to cover, from Genesis all the way through to Leveration, um, that's an interesting uh, book, that's one that we're just adding up, no, we won't do that, to Revelation, uh, we see this uh, going on. Everywhere we see, uh, read in his word, we don't see a God actually that is detached. We don't see him out here somewhere looking down on his people, just standing back and watching what they are doing. Instead, we see this God who constantly desires to come and be with us, to have a relationship with us, not just to be with them always, but to come and have that relationship. And that's amazing in itself that he'd even want to do that because we are sinful, we are broken, we are fallen people, we cause him a bunch of grief. So it actually shows us how much he must love us to continue to do that. Let me read you a couple of examples of longing to be with these people that I've found here. Exodus 29 says, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God, and they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am their Lord. 
Leviticus 26, I will put my dwelling place among you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. This is what he longs uh, to do. And almost identical words if you go to Ezekiel, the same sort of thing. So from Genesis to Revelation, we see this God who comes to us and longs to be with us. If we go right back to the Garden of Eden before everything went wrong, before the fall, we see the ultimate in this, don't we? The ultimate in this relationship that God wants to have, where he places Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden, where he mentors them, he gives them work to do, he communicates freely with them, delighting in them and with them as they live guilt-free and sinless lives until, of course, uh, they fall to the temptation of Satan and everything goes wrong and they mess the whole thing up, which uh, ends up with man being separated from God and God starts to work his plan, which culminates in Jesus fixing all that. After Adam had rebelled from God and chose to sin, what did he do then? Well, he did what we usually do when we sin as well. We try to hide we don't want to face that, so we try and hide something. The Bible says that Adam uh, went and hid himself from God. How dumb is that? He's omnipresent God. He's with us everywhere. But how dumb are we? Because we do exactly the same thing, don't we? I'd get you to put up your hands, but it would be a little bit embarrassing to see everybody with a hand up in this place here too. But that's how silly we are. And it says in the Bible that God came down in the cool of the day, and in Genesis 3, 9, God spoke these words, Adam, where are you? He didn't say, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was just that Adam didn't know where Adam was that was the problem and really instead of saying Adam where are you you could really put in Adam where are you at in relationship to where we are where are you at with that God knew very very well where he was at but despite Adam and Eve messing things up the story does show us God's longing to live in communion with us to live with us to walk alongside us then you go to the New Testament, you go all the way to the uh, end of uh, the New Testament, to Revelation, and you can see again this longing uh, from God to be with his people. Uh, John uh, wrote this book while he was exiled on the island of Patmos, and God gives him a whole bunch of uh, visions and pictures uh, which are relating to the last great things that are going to happen. Um, it's happening, we're talking about the second coming here and the final victory of Jesus. So let's have a look at that together. I think I've got some words up on the screen there. Thanks, uh, Joan. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. What a beautiful picture that is of mankind and God coming together. He longs to be with us. And this is the promise that's going to happen at the end of time, as we know it here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is going to happen. This is wonderful, wonderful news for us. How blessed we are to have a God who promises not only to be with us, but he longs to be with us and desires to have this close relationship with us, knowing that without his presence, we're actually helpless anyway. We actually are just a shell of who he created us to be without him. And he was forever reminding people all the way through the Bible that he was with them and that it was important for him uh, to be with them as well. In Genesis 26, we find Isaac, and he's dealing with uh, famines and Philistines and all these herdsmen who are wanting to take his wells and he's in this new land it's a great big mess that's going on and he's getting a pretty tough time but when we read in verse 24 in Genesis 26 it says this 
That night the Lord appeared to him, Isaac, and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, comma, why? Because I am with you. What a comfort for Isaac, who is in this new area, surrounded by people who are hassling him. And uh, God is saying to him, don't be afraid, for I am with you. You've got Joseph, all the troubles that he had in his life. We know his brothers were jealous of him. They threw him in a pit to die, but then they changed their mind and sold him off to some guys who were heading down to Egypt, and they sold him into slavery. But we know that God blessed him too. And when you read through the story, there's one phrase that keeps on coming up, and that is the phrase that says, and the Lord was with Joseph. We see it when uh, we're hearing about his prosperity. In Genesis 39, 2, it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And we hear it when he's falsely accused of trying to seduce Potiphar's wife, when in actual fact it was Potiphar's wife trying to seduce him. And Potiphar, of course, was a Pharaoh's, one of his officials sort of thing too. And, and Potiphar gets wind of this and, of course, gets angry and throws him into prison falsely. But he's in prison. So now what does he do? Well, Genesis 39:20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. The Lord was not back here looking down on what was going on, the Lord was with him. Moses, remember the story of Moses, little baby put in the, in the basket and put in the Nile River in amongst the bulrushes by his mother because the Pharaoh was panicking because there were so many slaves, they were, they were multiplying so quickly that he had this fear that if another nation came to fight against him, that the slaves, all the Israelites would join with them and they'd overtake uh, the Egyptians. Ironically, Pharaoh's daughter takes him into uh, the palace and he actually lives there as a very, very well-off Egyptian. And one day he is sitting when he's grown up, a little later, he's grown up, he's looking down, he sees this Egyptian beating one of these Hebrew slaves. So he looks to the right, looks to the left, goes down there and murders the guy, hides the body. The next day he sees two Hebrews, two Israelites, his own people, fighting each other and he goes down and says, what's going on? Why, why are you fighting a brother, a Hebrew? He says, who are you, my ruler and judge or something? What are you going to do? Are you going to murder me like you murdered the Egyptian? And he panics and he takes off. He goes to a place called Midian and he's there for a long, long time. He gets married to, I think, a lady called Zephora, has children. But he's there for a long, long time, a very, very old man. But then God appears to him in that very famous scene at the burning bush. And God tells him that you are going to be the guy who's going to free those slaves for me. You're going to go to Pharaoh and you are going to say, set my people free. Okay, difficult. Moses panics. I reckon I would too. And he says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In other words, I'm not capable of doing that. And God says, I will be with you. Now, to be perfectly honest, if I had been in Moses' shoes or sandals or whatever, in fact, I don't even think he was wearing sandals at the time. He might have been standing in front of the holy ground, that sort of stuff too. But if that had been me... And a burning bush, God in it, had said to me, I want you to bring about a million people out of slavery. I want you to go down to Pharaoh and I want you to say, set my people free. I reckon I would have said, and, and by the way, he said, I will be with you. I reckon I would have said, God, I'm really reassured that you're going to be with me, but you got anything else as well that I can go with you? No, I will be with you. See, we tend to think, don't we, sometimes that there needs to be something more significant that God could say to us than, I will be with you. But no, that is enough. 
Moses must have certainly, I think, looked back uh, in his life and seen from the time that God appeared to him in the burning bush and he was panicking, he didn't quite know what to do, to another time that we read about when he's getting ready for another part of the journey. This is well down the track. And uh, in Exodus 33, 14 uh, to, where are we? 17, I think we might even have this one up there somewhere. It says this. Remember, they're getting ready for the next part of the journey. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? See, he's gone now from, I don't know what to do, I'm not sure is it me, I, I, I can't really do this, to I'm not going anywhere unless your presence is with me. Heard the change that's happened in this man that happens to us too as we realize that God's presence is with us, that he lives in us, that we have confidence in what he is doing. When I was preparing for this morning, I remember uh, reading that and going, wow. What a change has happened in this man's life. The same man who was once saying, you know, what happens if the Israelites don't believe me that you spoke to me? Or, you know, how can I tell Pharaoh those, those things? We need to remember at this point uh, that uh, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was different than it is in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, God would send two people for a specific reason. He might send them to a king or a ruler or a prophet to give a particular message at the time or to fill them for a specific purpose. Whereas now, and after Acts 2 in the New Testament, after Jesus has been ascended back to heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to live in the Christian now. It comes to live in the believer in Jesus and does not leave you. It can't be taken away. In fact, God talks about it being the seal that he puts on our life. Now, David, remember David uh, talking about the presence of God when he sinned with Bathsheba. He was a man who really knew God's presence. We read the Psalms and we see how beautiful uh, he wrote those and how much he loved um, being in the presence of God and his Holy Spirit. But when he sinned with Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan came to him and accused him and he started to repent, Psalm 51, if you get a chance to read it at some stage, is amazing. And it is the whole prayer of repentance of David. But one of the things he said in there, I noticed, was, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He's actually saying, do anything you want to me, take anything you want, but do not take your presence from me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Moses dies, Joshua gets the job day one you know what happens to him day one of leading the israelites god says to him moses my servant is dead now then you and all these people get ready to cross the jordan river and go into the land i'm about to give them this is day one that this guy's doing the stuff and by the way the jordan river was in complete flood so you'd be looking at it but joshua had great faith in god and god goes on to say no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life as i was with moses so i will be with you Hashtag, I'll never leave you or forsake you, which is what it says after that. Can we see what we've been looking at from these events that are happening in the Old Testament? You see what's going on here? This consistent God who's saying that he will be uh, with us. They're the most significant words that can come from the lips of God apart from uh, our salvation. You're not alone, I will be with you. You know, you won't find my life story in the Old Testament. No smart aleck remarks from over here you won't find it also in the new testament but looking back i can clearly see god's presence in my own life clearly see that there have been many times uh, when i've been able to say with absolute confidence god is with me sometimes it has been so present 
and so obvious it's undeniable. It's almost like those, you know, the two disciples walked along and said, didn't you feel it? Didn't you feel the, the, like fire? I have been uh, at that point maybe four or five times in my life where God's presence has been so real it's undeniable. But other times, and uh, Michelle uh, mentioned this before, we don't really feel anything. It's difficult. We're going through stuff, but we don't feel God's presence. But now, this is when it becomes important to realize, and God has, just by his grace and mercy, has given me the faith to be able to believe that his promises are true, and that even when I don't feel his presence, he is with me. That's why we live by faith, isn't it? That's why we live by faith. I remember after I'd had a stroke a number of years ago, and my doctors had told me that I had multiple sclerosis, and I knew what that meant because I have a cousin who has multiple sclerosis and she has, has hardly any movement at all. And my legs were not working, my arms were very, very weak, uh, my world was spinning, spinning around in circles. I even remember one uh, night I went for a walk about 100 metres away from our house, struggled down to this area, and I turned around and I remember seeing the light of our house and going, how am I going to get back there? And I literally crawled some of the way to get back, at this point not realising that I'd had a stroke. My daughter Kobe, who was 11 years old at the time, uh, one, one day she came up when I was having a particularly bad physical day and she sat on my bed and she had tears in her eyes and she said, Daddy, does this mean that we're not going to be able to play anymore? I can tell you I did not feel God's presence at that time. But in all that, and I had, there was anguish, there was concern, I was anxious, but I did have the promise and God allowed me and helped me to believe that he was with me. What a relief that is. We're living in a very, very complex world full of problems and uncertainty, aren't we? And um, it's constantly changing and it's moving um, quickly towards the unknown and the uncertain future, particularly for those who do not know Jesus. You see people everywhere constantly searching for answers in self-help books or the latest positive thinking, you can do it internationally famous motivational speakers, world's number one selling book of the past three days on sale at the special conference price of $59.50. And so you have people who, um, these are sort of things that they're running for, they're searching for, and, and many of them have 50 of these books on their shelves. And they've read them all and they work for two weeks. And, but then you can go to another conference and get another book and you can find out how else do you can solve it. Or, or the Dalai Lama just might say something that's going to, to speak to you and it will change your life. And so we're searching for these things. Others are wondering if there's anything out there that can give comfort and hope other than these things. And I can tell you, yes, there is. There are many people here today that have experienced in their own lives. You know who you are. They have heard and believed the good news of Jesus dying on the cross in their place for their sin as a sacrifice. They've confessed their sins to him, repented of that sin and received the gift, the promised gift of the Holy Spirit, which is often known as the Comforter. They now live a life serving God and knowing that when they muck up and fall into sin, that they genuinely ask forgiveness of the Lord Jesus. They receive it immediately and no longer do they have to carry that load of sin with them anymore. I hate signs on churches usually. You know, you see signs on churches, no, not quite right. No, 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 no. And some of you are cutesy, whatever. 
but I did see one a couple of days ago and I thought, it's not bad, not bad. It says, if you have problems, don't go to Facebook. Seek God's face and read his book. I thought, okay. Tick. Might go to that church. <laughs> and um, you see, if we belong to Jesus, he will not unfriend us. He will be with us always. Always he promises to be with us. He will not unfriend us. Whether we sin or whether we make a mess of things, we're stressed out. Instead, he tells us that he is our helper and our friend. What a marvelous, marvelous thing that is to know. Now, I need to say something to those of you who are here this morning who don't know Jesus. I need to tell you this clearly, and I want to tell you this with an attitude of love because it would be wrong not to share this with you. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, then you have not yet been made right with God. You are still separate, like Adam became separate from God because of sin. If you haven't accepted what he's done at the cross by dying for your sins and setting you free, then you have every reason to fear. I have to tell you, I'm telling you this in love, that you have every reason to fear because there it will be a void in your life. There will always be a void because that void that can only be filled can only be filled by Jesus. That's all there is. But the good news is that fear can be turned to joy because of John 3.16. Ooh, look at all the smiles. That was good. <laughs> John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes what do I have to do what do I have to do to work for whosoever believes should I do I have to do things whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life today is a good day for you to respond to him or to find out more about him if that's you some people might be here going wow I've never heard this stuff before maybe this is true I better check this out others are being reminded of what a great God uh, we have Remember we talked about Adam hiding from God after he'd sinned and messed things up in the garden and, and, and God had called out, Adam, where are you? What about us? What about when he calls out, hey, John, where are you? Hey, Shabu, where are you? Hey, Nathan, where are you? What's my honest answer to him? Because I know I can't hide from him. We can't hide, can we? He's still going to be there. Even when you think you can hide, you know how babies sometimes, you know, they put a little blanket up. Yeah, but they get they go like this, you know. That's what we're like with God, isn't it? That's what we're like. We think we can hide, but we cannot hide from him. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. I heard a, a great story with a, a guy who was doing a children's address in church, and he'd been talking about heaven and he says to this little kid, I'll give you an apple if you can tell me where God is. And the kid looked straight back at him and said, I'll give you a box of apples if you can tell me where he isn't. I thought, good deal. Good kid. I like that. For those who belong to Jesus, he is with you when you are hurting. He is with you when you experience great joy. When you find yourself in a situation where you cannot see a solution, he is with you. He is with you always. A few nights ago, Melody, my daughter, Asked, said, Dad, what are you going to be talking about on, on Sunday morning? And I said, the promised presence of God that he promises to be with us. And she said to me, you know what? Um, when we've just had, some of you don't know, we've just had, Melody just had a stillborn child. So we had little Lily who died, I think, two months ago today. And Melody said to me, you know what, Dad? 
in my whole life, I have never experienced God's presence so closely and received such comfort from the Holy Spirit that I had during that time. There was anguish, there was tears with her and and Paul and, and even the kids, little Caleb. But she knew clearly, clearly that God was holding her and indeed our whole family. And that extended to our family too, I can tell you. It was just an amazing uh, moment. This is not the response of the world though, is it? Um, Two days ago, Florina's uh, auntie died. And um, she's 89 and her husband and her have been very, very close. Not Christians. In fact, he's such an atheist. just will not um, even think about God things. And he, since this time, has been such anguish, in such anguish that he wants to die. The family has so distraught. This is over an 89-year-old woman who's lived quite a long life, but they are distraught. They are devastated. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? It's so sad. So, so sad. I want to close and take us back to Matthew 28. Can we go back there again, um, Jane? Let's have another look at that just as we're uh, finishing. Read them with new eyes. Look at them. I know you've seen them a number of times. Mums, I want you to read these particularly strongly as well. I'm going to talk to you about something just for a minute. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Mums, parents, what can these verses be for you? Shabu and I are chatting. He talked to me about this. Oh, this is great. I love that. The reality is that we have an opportunity to go into the household and make disciples. Don't we, mums? You spend a lot of time with your kids, teaching them to obey God's commands. Some parents in this church and some mums had the opportunity and the privilege even to baptize their own uh, children. What a wonderful thing that that is. So, keep in mind in the house too, the Great Commission extends not only to all nations, it extends as close as the lounge room, as close as the backyard, as close as the trampoline, that we can do all these things with our children as well. I could not work out how to finish today. I couldn't work it out. And um, even this morning, I didn't know. In fact, you've got it up there already. That's good. And when I woke up this morning... I'm going, God, how do, I, how do I finish this? How does this work? Um, into my mind, uh, I, I suddenly, I said to Florina, isn't there some verses in uh, Psalm 139 that talks about God's presence being with us? And she said, yeah, I think there is. And so we looked it up and there they were. But then I realized that if somebody had said to me, uh, where are the verse, these verses? And I, I would have said, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I think they're in Psalm somewhere. I know that God has... He's wanting us to read these words this morning as a reminder as we remember that he is with us always and that his presence is with us because I did not know that was Psalm 139 until I suddenly realized I was saying that. In fact, when I went to write down later, I was looking in Psalm 119. I'd forgotten already where it came from. 
And Florina had to remind me, no wonder I couldn't find it. Have you ever tried to look for something in Psalm 119? <laughs> That's the longest psalm in, in the Bible, just by the way. But these words I, I want to finish with here too as a great reminder. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He's not saying he wants to. He's just saying, where can I go to flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I am with you always. Judy, your family's heading up yonder. God is with you always. Johnny Weller, you're unwell. There's bad stuff going on. God is with you always. Many of you have hassles with uh, different people. There are some relationships that are not good. And you're feeling guilty about that. But you know what? God is with you. His Holy Spirit lives in you if you belong to him. It's how we respond, isn't it? You have a child that is rebelling. God is with you. You're getting older. You're wondering what's to do with the rest of your life. I'm telling you, God is with you always. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. You are our friend. You love us. You long to have a relationship with us, Lord God. Thank you for your promise that as we go out and preach your word and make disciples and baptize them and teach them the things that you want them to know, Lord God, that you are with us always to the end of the age. We cannot do these things without you, Lord God. We even admit our faults, uh, the inabilities that we have to do things without you, Father. And so we give ourselves again uh, to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the message this morning. We thank you that you have given us uh, surety. We thank you that you have given us comfort in knowing that you long to be with us and you will be with us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.